Good morning, everyone. Oh, yeah, we're coming alive. It's a, you've had a cup of coffee or two. I know some of you, um, moms out there especially, I mean, sleep is, you know, something that you dream about. It's, and uh, just really want to say kudos to you. You made it this morning. If you're one of those moms that was up a lot last night. Um, how many of you know what this is? Yes. It's an Amazon Echo. You know, my man's a gadget man. And so he really wanted one of these. And our kids got it for him for Christmas. Okay. And it plugs in. It's, it's Wi-Fi. And it streams through. And her name's Alexa, by the way. Alexa. And you can change the name. But that's the name ours came with. And we just kept it the same. Well, my granddaughters, since they're the ones old enough, they love Alexa. It's kind of like she's the ventriloquist dummy or something. I mean, she's like a person. And when they come to my house, they want to talk to Alexa. The thing is, you can ask Alexa, you know, stream Hillsong United, and you'll get a bunch of the songs that we sing here. They'll start uh, playing it. You can ask them about the latest game. Oh, wait. Okay, beavers and ducks. Okay, we're all down there at the, in the cellar today, okay? So... Um, Let's just leave it at that. I'm not asking for those scores, Alexa. But the thing they most love to do is you can say, Alexa, tell me a joke. So I'm going to share a couple of the jokes they shared. Okay, the most recent from this weekend. What is Spider-Man's ideal job? Web designer. Where do you take a sick boat? This one comes up quite frequently. A dock. Christina loves that. And this one was from today. Why was the sand wet? Because the seaweed. (laughs) Okay. See, we needed a little laughter in here. That's right. You can't be afraid to laugh. But where am I going with all that? Well, first of all, we need to have fun, you guys. We need to smile. Jesus is the greatest person to ever hit planet Earth and the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we can't smile at church, we're in trouble. But the second thing is because, you know, some people get excited about the future. They want to be on the front end of the newest technology, anything that's developing, that kind of thing. And other people are very in the moment. Okay. And they help us stay in the present. And then there's people who really make sense of their present by looking at the past. And they're always nostalgic and sharing things from the past. And guess what? We need all three kinds of people. But today, just for today, I'm going to invite you to all be futurists which is my bent, okay, which is asking the what if, and this is what could be, and let's look ahead and see what God's going to do there, and let's ask him to show us a little bit of that picture. So I want to talk about the vista just ahead. You've been driving down a road, and they said viewpoint ahead, and some of us pull over for those, and, and some of us don't, but that's what today is. We are going to take a look at what's just ahead, and this is not a me message. This is a we message. This is about all of us as Evergreen, as a community, and I just want to ask you, are you ready to love wider and wilder this year, to live an irresistible life that equips and inspires our kids to have an unshakable faith? Are you ready for the invitation, the call that's going to come today? If you want to make a difference, let's partner with God in his great mission. You see, we're a community where the skeptics, the used to believe and I'm not sure anymore, the I've got my back turned, but 
I'll, I'll give you an hour to the I'm all in with Jesus. And we all collect and connect as we gather each week around this one person, Jesus Christ, that we has been declared the savior of the world, the Messiah, the one who died, who rose from the grave three days later and went to give us eternal life and joined his father at his right hand and was one day going to return for all of us. That's what we connect around. But the thing is, the big idea today about our future has to do around our mission. You see, God wants to work in us today to give us an unshakable faith that inspires and equips the next generation, our kids, our grandkids, and through us helps a lot of people find and follow Jesus. And we're going to do that four ways. Now, you've heard these four words before, maybe. Um, Love, win, grow, go. That's how we describe our mission as we help people find and follow Jesus. This is how we do it. So I want to propose to you three things we're going, four things we're going to be this year. First of all, loving wilder and wider. We want to love and be interruptible. We want to win. We want to be irresistible. We want to grow. We want to be purposeful. And we want to go. And for that, the big question is to be available. Will we be available? So I want to unpack those four things. First of all, love. Let's be interruptible this year. Let's love wider and wilder. And I think most of us know that there's nothing more important than love. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment to which he replied in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so the invitation today is to love so wide and so deep with the people around us that we have to depend on God's love to do it. His resource to get it done. Have you ever been there with somebody? You are at the rock bottom for ideas on what to do next with that person. You are at the end of your rope and your wisdom for what to say in response to what they've just shared with you. And it's in those moments that we do what's so important. And we turn to the one who has an inexhaustible supply of love and wisdom and the right answer, right? How to reply to that person. So I want to invite you today to help us create a community that builds people up. And stirs people's hearts to reach out here, near, and far in a way that is endlessly relevant and creative and causes other people to love God. Let's invest our lives in others this year. I like to say this year, let's collect friends instead of stuff. My granddaughter, Katie. I love it. Where, whatever park I take her to, it doesn't matter what city it's in or if she's ever been there before. When we arrive and she sees there's people there, she says, look, Grammy, my friends are here. That's what we're talking about. That expectation that that stranger, that that new person, that that person you've never met that just moved in down the street, that look, there's a new friend. There's my friend. That's What we want to do. We want to ask God to supercharge our creativity and ingenuity in loving people. And he can only do that by his spirit. 
so that we can apply that creativity to the eternal, not just the temporary stuff in our life. Oh, we love to be creative in our jobs and in our home and in our decorating and all sorts of things. We want to apply that same creativity in how we're loving each other and those here and near and far. So you might say, well, great, Ann. That's good pep talk. I'm all pumped up. Now what? And that's what I ask myself. So what does this look like for the Evergreen community? How do we do that? Now, some of you are going to remember, what's that famous slogan? We have some great insurance agents in the church for this company. Like a good neighbor. That's right. Every service, everybody knows that. That's a successful slogan. But I'm here to tell you, what if, what if your neighbors, what if my neighbors could actually say that about us? Like a good neighbor. Russell and Kay are there. Like a good neighbor, Stephen and Lisa are there. Like a good neighbor, John and Susan are there. Like a good neighbor, Josh Womack is there. Like a good neighbor, Lucas Fort is there. What if? And for that to happen, we're going to have to stretch ourselves. We're going to have to change our calendar to include our neighbors. Yes, I'm talking about your literal neighbors. You know those ones that get missed in that great commandment? Because we're thinking about the strangers and the, uh, the people that we meet out in the highways and byways of lives and forget about the ones who live right next door. Those are the ones that I'm talking about. And actually learn the art of neighboring and getting to know our actual neighbors. Finding ways to love and nurture those relationships until they begin to see this irresistible nature of Jesus' love coming through us to their life. And they begin to open up to us about things we never imagined. Instead of just their names and what I call the facts of life, you know, their job and how many kids they have and those kinds, their address. Instead, we get down to the hopes and the dreams and the fears that they have. It means setting aside our phones and going face-to-face with people. Beginning with our families and stretching out then into our neighborhoods. It means listening with all we've got. Hanging onto others' words as though we couldn't get enough. I love that phrase when it says the people, the crowd were hanging on Jesus' words. Maybe you've had that happen in a conversation in your life when somebody's so engaged in listening to you and you are convinced they get me. They hear me. They're here for me. That's what that can do. And that's what causes our neighbors then to begin to open up about deeper things that are going on in our life. There's a wonderful book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And we've asked all our team to read it. And we'll probably ask all of you to read it. And it's by a guy named Jay Patnick and Dave Runyon. And these two guys are just writing about this art of neighboring, but they did a little survey across the United States and they asked people to name the eight closest neighbors by name. Question number two, write some facts of life about those neighbors down. You know, their job, how many kids they have, whatever, if you know their favorite color or anything like that. And then the third question was, what are their hopes, dreams, or fears? Here's what they found. 10% of people across the nation could write the names of their neighbors. 3% could write some facts of life about their neighbors. And 1% 
knew anything about the hopes and dreams and fears of their neighbors. So this year, we must be interruptible. It can be as simple as what God told me to do a year and a half ago. It was a year ago in January that he said, Anne, every time you see one of your neighbors, you must stop and engage with them. Not a wave from the distance and moving on. Well, I thought, okay, simple, right? Easy, not so much. Because we're people that are on the go. We have things to do and places to go. and We have kids to chauffeur and appointments to get to, right? And that can sometimes interrupt. And he's had to call me up short on many occasions and say, uh-uh, uh-uh. Okay, God talks to me that way. I don't know about you. But there is that hearing him in my head there. And stop. And the cool thing is, it has absolutely transformed my relationships with my neighbors and helped me meet new ones just as they arrive into the neighborhood. And my conversations with them are going deeper and deeper. And so much so that two weeks ago, One of my neighbors opened up to me and she says, "Um, we're what you call unchurched. I don't know anything. And yesterday I had the uh, opportunity to stop twice for that same couple. They were sitting enjoying a glass of wine down at the wine shop down the street from us. And I was walking to Starbucks. We always tease each other about our favorite beverages. But I stopped and they had a friend with them. And we engaged in a probably 10-minute conversation. Going deeper with our neighbors so much so that they begin to really believe that there is a God who loves them this year. Let's be interruptible like a good neighbor. We will be there for our neighbors and for those in our family and beyond. That brings us to the second one. When be irresistible. Now I know right off the bat. I mean, is that irresistible? I think that's irresistible. But I'll tell you what comes to people's mind. Food and sex. Okay? When you think irresistible or sexiness. Okay? And yes, we can say that word in church. It's okay. Don't faint anybody. Okay, but that's what comes to mind. But I think sometimes we think that we have to make God sexier. That we have to work hard to make him irresistible. But can I challenge you about this? You might be surprised what will grab the attention and the heart of the people in your lives that are still on their way to Jesus. You see, here's what they're captured by. They're captured by someone who in the face of difficult circumstances stays at peace. Stays calm. And seems to be absolutely depending on something greater than themselves. They find it irresistible when somebody is generous in the face of their own grief or their own hardships. Their attention is captured when we listen to them without judgment. That's irresistible. So many people are waiting to be heard without judgment. You're irresistible when... They see you being patient with a child who is testing you to the limits. And instead of worrying about how you'll look, you're worried about what's going on for your child. And you stay kind. And you stay even keel. Or maybe you don't and you make it right afterwards. But they're watching for that. That's irresistible to people. And in fact, watching a dad unabashedly love and connect with his child or his infant, 
That's irresistible. That's rarer than you think. We can take it for granted after we've walked with the Lord for a little while. These are the irresistible things that we're talking about. People who are looking for real love and acceptance and forgiveness. They're looking for the kind of love that produces those uncommon results in our lives. And it absolutely captures their hearts. So let's be a community that lives craveable lives. Yes, that's a word I like to use because crave, craveable means you're always wanting more. So much so that when they watch our lives, they say, I want more. And they ask why, why do you care? Why do you love like that? Why did, why did you stick with me after the way I've treated you? Why did you do that? Why? That's what people will ask us. Why are you so generous? What if we took things a step further, though, than being interruptible and irresistible, and we actually initiated with our neighbors by inviting them to go out for a meal, to come over for a meal, to go to coffee, to barbecue together, and, hey, maybe even ask them for their help? Because they are the experts at a lot of things. We need them. And when we ask for their help, we can let them be the experts and watch God do what only he can do. You see, we can love and we can share his good news, but only God can convince. He's the one who draws people to himself. But we come around and live our lives out in front of them. And then we give a reason for that to their questions. The Apostle Paul had a very simple guiding principle in all of his relationships, and he was really good at it. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, he says it this way. I'll read it in two translations. The first one, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Love that new living translation. And then NIV says, the way most of us remember this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. This year, our invitation from God is to love wider and wilder, to be interruptible, to let our irresistible lives, don't underrate them. They are, your life is irresistible to many people who are searching for love and acceptance. And as we share the story of how Jesus has made a difference in our lives, people begin to come alive in him. That brings us to our third one. Grow. Be purposeful. I love this picture of this kid. He's looking a little bit sheepish there, but looking up. Now, I didn't have a fancy one like this painted on the wall. I don't know about you. There are six kids in my family. We lived on the cheap. So we used a doorway, and we had a pencil, and they wrote the names next to it. And, hey, a lot of people just rip that molding out and take it with them when they go to the next house, put a new piece up and paint it just to, to keep track of that wonderful keepsake. Why do we go to all that trouble to measure and, and look how our kids are Because growth is how we were meant to live. We're supposed to grow, and not just this way, but growth is exciting for that. Parents love to benchmark that because part of the Imago Day in us is that we were designed to grow. And to grow, sometimes we have to have a little rearrangement. We have to be purposeful. So I'm inviting you, let's rearrange our lives to, take, to help the next generation take hold of the baton of faith. From us. You know we're holding it. And 
God's word says that it isn't just the responsibility of the parents, but of the faith community. His words were written to all of us to impress these things on your children, to talk about them when you get up and when you lay down and when you're walking along the way. That Those commands were shared with a whole community of people, the moms, the dads, the aunts, the uncles, the outlaws and the in-laws. The whole crew was listening to these words. The single people, the people who had never had any kids and weren't planning on it. Those, that instruction was for all of us. And that's the baton that we're holding in our hand. And it's a worthy one. The thing is, we're going to have to do hard things together this year. We can grow when we do hard things, new things, challenging things. And this reminded me of our granddaughter, Katie. It's a Katie morning. So this is a picture of Katie, and she is crossing the monkey bars. This is out of a, after a lot of practice. Now, I happened to be there for her very first time to ever cross the monkey bars. This was a very big moment for her. And she, we were at the beach for a week in August, and she started practicing at the city park. And as you can imagine, it was, you know, one arm over the other and then fall down below. Then one arm over the other and fall down below. Then one arm over the other, over the other, and then fall. And one thing she did was learn to fall without breaking a limb. And her, her father was particularly interested in that particular part of the training. But Katie was absolutely obsessed with growing, with learning this new skill. And she had a plan. She was very persistent with it. She was very purposeful. She pestered all the adults to get her back to the park multiple times a day so that she could practice some more. We were only worried about preventing blisters, which didn't seem to bother her whatsoever. And once she did it, the very first time we were going, go, 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 every rung was another cheer. And when she finished, we were all clapping. And I would have shown you the video, but it wasn't, it wasn't good enough quality. But the thing is, this took multiple visits to the park. And it took a lot of learning on her part. But she couldn't wait to show her neighborhood friend, Marcus, who's a year older, that she could do it like him now. And she couldn't wait to do it at the park that's just down the street from their house. And that was going to lead her to the school that she started this fall where she knew there was a monkey bars and she was getting ready. I'm going to be able to cross the monkey bars at school. What's my point? She was thrilled to grow. And she was very purposeful about growing. And this was the question that came to me. How could we be as purposeful about growing our relationship with Jesus this year as a five-year-old is at learning to cross the monkey bars. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4.16. He said this, From him, that is Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, here's the big deal. It's why we're talking about it on a we message, not just a me message. Because a part of growing can only happen in the we. We need each other. We are the muscles, the sinews, the bone, the flesh, the blood. I know that might be too gory for some of you. I won't go any further. But we are connected. We are integrally connected, and we need each other. If we're going to realize everything, all the maturity and all the growth that God has for us, And we were designed to do that with each other. Now, we talk a lot about growth around here. And we talk about these four G's. It's really what I call four Jesus habits. Okay? God, spending time with God. Gather. That's gathering weekly like you are here today. And kudos to you for that. And grouping up. 
That's being part of a smaller group where you actually know each other's names and stories and you can hold each other accountable and you can grow. You can take care of each other. You can do cool things for each other. Lift each other up when you're down and listen to the vents when you need those. You know, that kind of stuff. It's really cool. Can't do that on Sunday morning. Sorry. So the last one's give of your time, talent, and treasure. So I ask myself, in these habits, what are we doing that's purposeful to grow in these areas as a community of faith. And here's what I came to. Three of them we are soaring in, and one of them we need to take a look at. More of us are spending time with Jesus and in his word during the week. That is the most important thing of all, right? Jesus Christ and your relationship with him. More of us are in groups. On any given week this past year, almost 300 people were in groups of one kind or another. More of us are giving of our time, talent, and treasure. And I just want to say, Evergreen, we are rock stars in volunteering our time and our talent. And we are growing to be rock stars in our giving generously in so many ways. You've just done phenomenal. So those things are on the increase and on the rise. So I ask myself, what's the one where we could really be more purposeful about our growth? It's about gathering weekly. And our trend is this, that we have more people than ever who call Evergreen their home and they truly, this is their church, this is their faith community. But the frequency of attendance and being part of the faith community is going down. So instead of here, three out of four, it's two out of four or one out of four. That's the trend. Now, here's the deal. That's a cultural phenomena. It is not just an Evergreen phenomena. Tom Rayner, who's a pastor and author and researcher, um, noted this as a cultural phenomenon. He identifies three reasons. They're not the only reasons, but three of the biggies. And I want you to know all three of these reasons are good things. They're, they're things that have happened. They're not in, them, in of themselves bad, but I want to mention them. First of all, increasing involvement with kids' activities, including more multiple activity commitments of sports and music and art and you name it, for a longer duration... These commitments are. And with a greater competitiveness. And there's this growth of club sports, which, by the way, started when I was raising my kids. They had the opportunity to be club sports, which we deprived them of. And the intensity of this competition creates this market for kids to start earlier and earlier in whatever pursuits they're going to do, right? In these huge chunks of time are then eaten up out of a family's life. Many of them weekends. The, the second reason is this. Greater mobility of the population in general and the virtual workplace that makes it possible for you and I. And this is an awesome one that we get to do work from almost anywhere, right? Beach work. Okay, somebody in the last service really didn't want those mixed. They really don't like it that it's that virtual, you know, that your work can invade all the parts of your life. But the truth is we can work anywhere. And 25% of the white-collar workers in America are doing a lot of their work away from home or the office. There's a lot of travel involved. And so they're outside and away from home. The third one, access to online podcasts and service uh, video streaming. Now, it's easier than ever to stay connected to Evergreen even. You can go on and you can listen to a podcast. Isn't that awesome? Because guess what? Life happens. 
You've been up all night with sick kids and you're not going to bring them and infect uh, the rest of the kids here. Awesome. But that can also be an invitation for me if I don't feel like going. If I'm just feeling a little, you know, worn out. If I'm just prone to thinking of it like a consumer and how I feel about it. Or am I thinking about it as this community that together we can grow. But apart, we can't. There's things we're going to miss out on. So I've shared with you these three, and there's other reasons that people have found. There's, but these three are biggies. So my question is, should we be concerned about the change in habits? And I want to suggest today that, yes, we should be. For everyone, but especially for our kids. Now, I want you to take a look at this uh, cartoon that Joel's going to put up. See this picture? Mommy, come in here so you can see what we're going to look like in 10 years. I just love this, and they've all found different heights. Okay, how many of you as parents wished you could have had this? I mean, we'd all love a crystal ball. We'd like to know that knowing what we know right now about this child, what will that look like in 10 years? In fact, that was my mom's advice to me in raising my kids was about whether you address a behavior is what will this look like if I let it go in 10 years? Right? But we don't have that. But it is wise for us to think about. And so we ask ourselves, what will this generation of kids, not just your kids, not just my grandkids, but this entire generation of kids, what will be their habit with their gathering, with their community of faith? If there's this different declining habit happening right now. So first of all, I just want to inspire you and and help you be instructed by Jesus' example because I find it inspirational. Jesus, the perfect son of God, gathered weekly at the synagogue. And the religious leaders did not make this easy for him. I'm pretty sure he would have chosen a podcast a few times. Except he was perfect, so he wouldn't have, but I would have. Okay, so let's read two descriptions of one of them in Jesus' own words about what his habit was. Matthew 4, verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. John 18, verse 20, these are Jesus' own words. He says, I've spoken openly to the world. Jesus replied, I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. Now, as difficult as the religious leaders were for Jesus... As unfriendly of a reception as some of them gave him in the synagogues when he showed up, he still went every Saturday and participated in the worship there. And often he was a guest rabbi who stood to teach along with others. It was a Jesus habit. The thing is, it wasn't just Jesus' habit. He passed that on to his disciples. You will remember that what was the first thing the disciples did every time they hit a new town? They went and found the synagogue. Now, they also taught in the marketplace. They taught outside where big crowds had gathered, taught next to their fishing boats, right? We know that. But in the middle of that, there was still this amazing habit of coming together weekly. And then when the church started, the church was born in Acts 2. What did they do? These same disciples had a habit of gathering on the first day of every week for teaching, for fellowship, for prayer, for a meal together, and that often included communion. Jesus modeled this commitment to a weekly gathering. The thing is, we can also be inspired by what God's word says 
gathering weekly will do for us in our own relationship with Jesus. There is something in it for you, actually. Here's what he what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Hey, kudos to you. You're you're all here, right? As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, remember, I'm not talking about just being at church. I'm talking about the frequency of our gathering together where we can grow together and help each other do that. What's this scripture telling us? It's telling us that when we gather collectively, there's something special that happens, that our relationship with Jesus is nurtured and encouraged and that we develop a more robust faith that can endure to the end till Jesus returns. And that's going to be a grand day. And I don't know about you, but I want to finish well. And my chances of finishing well are better because of you. My opportunity to finish well is better because of all of you. And the same is true for you. Now, surprise, research, you know, research just shows us what God's already talked about in many cases. And that's the case here. The Barna Research Group did a study in the U.S. And they discovered that attending church makes a difference now and later. In our lives. So it's not just a here and now, it is the 10 year thing. So they discovered that in adults who attended church as a child, they're twice as likely to read the Bible during a typical week as those who did not attend while they were young. And they were twice as likely to gather weekly as adults because as those who did not have that habit. And on top of that, they were 50% more likely to actually talk to God during the week on their own. We call it prayer. So going to church as a child has ongoing effects into adulthood. Furthermore, 78% of those who are not churchgoers as children are still absent from the church today. So what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to encourage us with is what we do with kids now will make a difference 10 years from now. So we need to make sure that we're thinking about what's shaping us, what's pressing us into its mold, and not let the culture have its way. So when we try to do faith alone, do it on our own like that and skip the gathering, Or leave it out or let that wear out as a habit. It's kind of like running a marathon and avoiding all the aid stations. Jared and I ran the Orange County Marathon as a training ground for one of our long runs for the marathon we wanted to run, which was the rock and roll in Phoenix, which we eventually did. But when we ran that one, we were no dummies. You see, we'd already done some long runs. And do you know that when you run a long way, you've got to drink a lot? And to do that, you've got to plant water bottles along the route. And you've got to put a belt on you that's got like eight bottles on it. And it's got little straps that you can stuff some bars and things to eat on. All of that so that you can be sustained for what is a really long journey. And I don't know about you, but this life is a journey. It's a marathon. It is not a sprint. And I need all the help I can get. And each one of us do. And we're part of that help. And our kids need that as well. But here's the interesting thing. Did you know that you have to train yourself to be able to eat and drink when you're running? 
it isn't something that you always just like. I had to make myself drink. I don't feel that till way too late. So I had to train and then I had to get used to just doing it. The same thing is true about gathering weekly. It's a habit. It's something that kids develop and grow in, that adults develop and grow in. But it is. We are the aid station. We are the people handing out the Gatorade to the kids as they're running this race with us. And if we're not there, they miss out. They undergo hardship. They might not make it to the end. They might be like Jared in the 17th mile, dehydrated. That will stop you in your tracks. We don't want that to happen for kids' faith. I love Andy Stanley's quote about the church. He said, the church is a family expecting guests. And the question is, how can we be prepared for guests without you? We can't. So our question is, how will we change our gathering habits so that we can equip the next generation, our children, who are absolutely dependent on us for this habit? They can't get in the car and drive themselves. They depend on us. What's the message in this for us? It's this. We've got to do hard things. We've got to do disciplined things. We have to show up at church. It matters for you and it matters for the generations to come. Don't let the culture press you into its mold. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. Don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll prove what the will of God is. So what if? What if Sundays, church was not your default if I don't have anything better to do or haven't scheduled anything else? What if it was your big deal? What if you rearranged, reordered your world and adjusted your kids' sports and right-sized those commitments to make room For more kids to find and follow Jesus. It does make a difference. Now and later. We are here to help them establish a meaningful connection with God. And with others who love him. And you know there's nothing greater as a parent. Than to have some other adults care about your kids. There are times in your kids lives where they need that. That cheerleading will do something that nothing that a parent can say will do. Maybe when they don't want to hear from the parent. You matter. You're essential. You and I are holding the Gatorade. And if you're not here, there's one less for our kids to receive the baton from. So this year, let's practice a Jesus habit. Let's rearrange our lives and give the next generation an unshakable faith. I am a product of a lot of adults who chose to reach out to me. See, we've got kids coming in here who don't have parents here. But because you took time to lead in kids' ministry, because you took time to serve in that nursery that's having the biggest baby boom ever, with 20-some babies, a lot of services, that's a boom. And there's more coming, as you saw on the stage here this morning. shouldn't point that out. (laughs) But all this to say, Kim... Our children's pastor cares about this deeply. She's been praying for us that we will capture the heart of God about passing the baton to the next generation. And I want to tell you, and I stand here as evidence that eternity is at stake. You can't tell what will happen if you intervene in a 10-year-old's life. 
as another adult. And that brings us to the last one. Go. Be available. I couldn't resist the book, Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places you'll go. It's just such a positive book about what's out there. And I love this little rhyme. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. I just love that. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8? Well, I think it's kind of close to what he told them. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where were the disciples when Jesus shared these words with him? At the edge of Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, about a half mile outside of town. The point he was making, you start where you're at and you go out from there. So I want to encourage you this year, let's not bypass the neighbor next door in our reach to people on another continent or in another country. What does that look like for us in 2015 in Hillsborough, Oregon, Evergreen Christian Center? How can we reach more next door? Those of you who were here last week heard Joe share, my brother, about their church planning adventures in Spokane, about reaching more next door. And you heard him say that they planted one five miles to the south, and the next year they decided to plant one five miles to the north. It took him 16 years of pastoring there before he could make that decision. And he will be the first to say, what was the biggest obstacle? Fear. Fear of losing, fear of losing people, of these relationships that you've nurtured, even though they really aren't far away, right? They're next door. So they did that. And you know, I know what the results were. The results were that they got to love wider and wilder, just like we were talking about earlier. And on Easter morning, 2015, there were 20,000 people loving Jesus in those 16 churches. All started with the one. And We ask ourselves, so what's our next step? And here's our next step. Who's next door for us? Five miles east of Evergreen Christian Center, the building, because the building isn't the church, but the building is the Aranco Station, Tannisbourne, Amber Glen area. And there's over 100,000 people within a three-mile radius of what's known as Crossroads. That's the Winco and all that. Uh, the restaurants, Copper, Copper City Grill and all of those. If you take a three-mile radius, you'll have over 100,000 people. That's still two miles between us and that edge of that radius, right? Uh, between Evergreen. This is one of two fastest-growing areas in the Hillsborough area, and it's the first one that's been developed. Now, this area has a higher percentage of single or one-person households than the rest of Hillsborough, and it's nearly half of that area's population is 25 to 40 years of age in comparison with 33% in Hillsborough proper than the whole of the city. This neighborhood is truly an international neighborhood with nearly one third of those people speaking a language other than English in their homes each evening when they return from work. And 25% of them are here from another country. They were born in another continent or another country. So the majority of these more than 100,000 people don't know Jesus. Lots of new people are moving into that region. And we have the opportunity to reach these people who share life on the east side of our wonderful city. You know, that's Hillsborough too. So how will we do that? We want to start Evergreen 2 or E2 as I like to call it. 
And you can think of it this way, E-2-T-O-O. Because it's important to us that you know this is one church, two locations. So we want to start Evergreen too. And what's the first step? Well, we're going to have an interest meeting. No, there's no date to announce because it starts with people. And we're having an interest meeting on Sunday, October 11th at 1 p.m. And it's for anyone who's interested in either being a part or just you're interested in the process. And you want to know, you know, maybe I'll explore it in some way. And then there's an opportunity to sign up to be part of a prayer team. And we invite everyone to pray and ask God what he wants you to do. Because some are going to pray. Some are going to give of their time, talent, and resources. And others are going to go and do all of the above. The big question is this. It's not all go or not go. That's not what I'm asking is are you available? Would you pray about it? Because here's what we're looking for. We're looking for 50 interested, 50 committed adults. And that's more than just raising your hand and saying, I'll be there. 50 committed adults and the children that go with them to partner with us to reach more next door in this region. And when we have those 50 committed people, we'll take our next steps in securing the site and planning the launch. So this morning, let's reach more next door. Let's do it together evergreen and evergreen too let's expand our reach to the wonderful people who are on the east side of our city and who come from around the world to work in the high-tech industry and related industries and let's love our new neighbors until they ask why and then keep on loving them are you getting a glimpse of the future love be interruptible win be irresistible grow be purposeful Go, be available. Would you pray with me?